0: Hi, we're Phil and Jen. Welcome to our podcast. This is the second season and it is called Setting the Bible Free. And this is the fourth episode. And this one we're calling How You Hold It. (laughs) I wanted to call it How You Hold It Matters, but I mean, I'm laughing because I (laughs) thought
1: we landed on that, but I guess it's, you know. All right, I won the
0: debate. I feel like How You Hold It Matters <laughs> is actually the name of it. It but feels a
1: little clunky, but
0: okay. I guess we'll see. I'm more wordy. We'll see what happens in the actual official description. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's going on, Jen?
1: Yeah, we're coming at you tonight at night from our shared office. And we just got in from Santa Cruz um, last night and we had... Gosh, it was such an epic time. It was fun. Um, Saturday night, we had our "How to Reimagine Your Life" experience up there, and met some new friends and incredible people. Um, some
0: friends came up with us from Costa Mesa.
1: Yeah, it's like a party. People drove in from like several Four hours way. away and stayed Sacramento, the night. I mean, it was places. it was cool. It was awesome. So, yeah, that we are we were tired this morning, and normally we do these in the morning, and we thought, you know what, we need to like practice the thing we're talking about here and, and and rest and chill and don't think that we did that as well as we could have but we tried <laughs> so we're coming at you at night here and we have two more weeks of the how to read your wait can you how tell to set the bible free? oh man you can tell it's at night because my brain's starting <laughs> to fade how to set the bible free workshop And we've been doing this for the last several weeks in Costa Mesa on Thursdays. We have two more and we do have spots available if you want to jump in on that. And basically what we're doing is we are jumping off of these podcasts and we're going deeper and having really great discussion, more teaching on this stuff. And we would love to invite you to that seven to nine this Thursday and next Thursday at Pitfire Pizza in Costa Mesa. And... Also, we have our marriage retreat coming up, um, in November, November 12th and 13th in Carlsbad, And 14th, 14th. We'd love you to stay through the weekend and just, we're really, really looking forward to that time. I think it's going to be just a really, um, great time for couples to come and kind of have a reset. We have some really fun, um, experiences planned. There's going to be some teaching. There's going to be a lot of time where we just kind of set up of things for you to do and conversations that you'll have. And the idea is that we, our hope is that you will come away feeling refreshed and encouraged and seeing your spouse with like a whole new set of eyes and, um, just being feeling seen as well. So we'd love to invite you to that. And finally we're jumping in episode four.
0: Okay. So we set the stage for a couple of weeks, for a bigger conversation that I'm really excited about. And this is stuff that we've been thinking about for years. I actually pulled out journals from the last four years, five years um, of stuff, just thoughts, ideas, things have been thinking about, wrestling with, and kind of bringing kind of like a five, eight-year journey into these conversations. And so... I want to talk about how we've been shaped and conditioned to hold the Bible and the impact that it's had on our world. That's what I want to talk about. Let's go. So, okay, a couple of things, observations from those first two weeks that I, I we talked about in the workshop that I actually want to repeat. One, the Spirit of God needs form to exist, hence like... Breathing creation into existence. It took on physical form. Jesus taking on a physical body. Like spirit needs form. But the reality is form is always impermanent. It's always evolving. It's always changing. And everybody thinks that their form is the final form. No, everybody thinks like this is it. Like right now. Yeah. The, this, we've arrived.
1: Which makes total sense because it's the reality you're living in.
0: But yet the spirit always seems to acquiesce the form historically to the needs of the people in that particular stage of humanity.
1: Right. We talked we did talk about this. Yeah.
0: So one. like, again, remember when the, 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 Kings. Yeah, yeah, the, the people in the old Testament and wanted in the time of the judges wanted a king. And they're like, Oh God's speaking to the prophets saying, well, no, you don't want a king. There's a lot there. If you do that, like I'll be your king. And like, well, we really want a king. He's like, okay, I'll give you a king. But like, here you go. Um, and God's like, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. Like, so like spirit needs form, but form's always impermanent. And it's always evolving, and everybody thinks their form's the final form. But the spirit always seems to meet us where we're at. You yeah. know. That's one. Spirit needs form. Okay. Form's impermanent. It's always evolving. Everybody thinks their form's the final form, and the spirit seems to acquiesce historically. That like in order to meet us where we're at and move us forward. That's just one. Two. The things that cause these changes that we experience, because it's endless change. These like massive upheavals and growth, they're actually really quite complex. And they happen over time. And they're often symptomatic of political and economic and social upheaval. And it's always tied to power and politics and religion. It's never like the spiritual moment. It's like, it's always couched in power. Three, it's it's all. Do
1: you want to explain that at all?
0: I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> okay. It's all a social construct.
1: Oh, gosh, my favorite.
0: Um, I know you don't like that, but there's Jesus in the movement, and then there's what we decided to do with it, how we interpret it, and the way that we create culture and institution around it in like an ever-evolving way. It's like Jesus left the institution of religion, and we created an institution around leaving the institution. <laughs> Think about it. (laughs) Yeah. And the way that we hold all of this, we actually came up with as a people. And if you look historically, you can see when things changed and how we decided we're going to hold it differently. It's changed many times over the last 4,000 years in the story of redemptive history in the Bible. And the way we hold lots of things about God, the Bible, church, the world are actually like right, what we're holding right now are actually pretty new on the scene of history. And a lot of them are not God's final form. Like most of it's not God's eternal state or intention of human understanding and being for all time. I think it's actually much more dynamic than that.
1: Which is hard when you're in the thing to even think about it in those terms, you know? Yeah. Because just... I think, <laughs> no, I just, sorry. I think we're all kind of like narcissistic, right? Like we think like what we're in is the thing.
0: Which is the air you breathe. You don't think about it. You operate from it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's the difference. We're not going, how is this growing and changing? We're like, this is the way it is. Therefore, I live this way. I create the world this way. I operate this way. And then I'll say, kind of fourthly, the last stage in form that we're living in. Because remember, we talked about how it changes every, every so often. But this last one started... the great reformation 1500s this latest stage although it had a lot of incredible things that it gave humanity seriously incredible things like incredible (laughs) are you convincing me (laughs) i am i'm convincing myself incredible advancements (laughs) incredible ways of healing and love and life in the world yes of
1: course yeah
0: but in a lot of ways it wasn't the most helpful either. It was almost like a step backward. Like the movement in the scriptures from word to flesh. What's a word? Well, think about...
1: Just, I mean, you know, sound churchy here.
0: John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? Talking about Jesus as the word that existed in the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and it describes the creation of the world. It describes God as this fascinatingly complex being. There's God. In the beginning was God. And then there's a picture of God speaking the world into existence, the word of God, the creating, like animating force of God in the world is this word. God speaks things into existence, so the poem says. And then there's a picture of the spirit of God hovering like a dove over the surface of the deep. Then you come to like the story in the account in Matthew 3, Matthew 4, when Jesus gets baptized. And when he goes down to get baptized, it says that the heavens opened, a voice from heaven God spoke, and that the the spirit of God descended like a dove. The same picture is like the spirit hovering over the surface of the water like a bird, almost like a gull over the waves that you see in the ocean.
1: As Genesis, you're saying?
0: Yeah it's, yeah, it's this picture of like the animating force of the universe, the Word of God. It just became flesh, it became one of us to show us who God really is.
1: Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I just love it so much. <laughs> but thanks the, thanks the, for explaining that. It just but makes the so Word
0: happen. became in flesh. Spirit needs form. It's the thing about the last stage that we've been in it was almost like a movement back to word. It was almost like a disembodiment. Instead like of moving more towards an enfleshment, it's like we spent the last 500 years fighting, trying to be right about what the words in the Bible said. It's like this movement right. of like, they called it the sola scriptura, the scriptura, scriptura sola, like only the scripture, the scripture alone. It's like and, and, and so then it became like a movement away from the tradition and authority of the church and the Pope and the abuse of power that existed. And it's like this pull away in the Protestant movement. But as a it's result- It's a good thing. It's, it's great. Right. But then it like became like this paper Pope. So the teacher, the interpreter had the ultimate authority and whoever the interpreter and the teacher was, got to tell you what the Bible actually said. It was like this movement back, it's like an argument over words and getting things right. Oh yeah. Like a disembodiment. Away from embodying a movement, it was an argument over words, which became essentially about- Power. And it's like we spent the last five hundred years fighting, trying to be right, essentially weaponizing the words of scripture,
1: using them to bolster our arguments and and what we are trying to say. Yeah. What became about oppressing people,
0: dividing, excluding, drawing lines, and in a lot of ways, missing the thing. So, this is what I'm thinking. I think that. The way the significant portion of the American church today holds the Bible is going to be bold. It isn't working for them anymore. And you can see the statistics. We've talked about it in our last season. There's, I, I don't have them in front of me right now. Um, for the first time, a minority of Americans consider themselves part of a monotheistic religion, the combination of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, forty-seven percent. That's it. The like number of people that call themselves nuns. So like,
1: spirit- not like a nun with like okay. a like a robe on and no, 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 like yeah, just clarify No
0: religious affiliation, Nunes, but spiritual. N-O-N-E. Basically, we left that faith because we saw the hypocrisy in it, and we're still. Our kids are coming home from the skate park, and we're still.
1: <laughs> the older ones. Other ones are bad. <laughs>
0: spiritual. We're still we're still after this thing, but we know that's not it mm. they' not so the, that's that,
1: what nuns, that's how they associate themselves with no, no religious affiliation, nuns. but
0: still like, ah, show me the real thing
1: yeah, like not not like just uninterested, just kind of done with the whole organized religion yeah they they're
0: like I, I don't have the number in front of me thirty, thirty three percent of the American population now. So, I mean, I, I heard recently from multiple pastors, I don't have the statistic of where they quoted it, um, 30 to 35, 33% of congregations have returned now after the pandemic and the people meeting again in church. Like there's a, there's a sense in like a lot of people, significant portion of the American church hold, um, The way that a significant portion of the American church holds scripture just isn't working for a lot of people.
1: Or maybe even broader than that, maybe even just this system, just to be fair, right? We're not just talking about the way that the scriptures are being held.
0: Right, but I think the way we hold it now is, it's actually pretty new on the scene of history.
1: Which is crazy to think about, because again, it's like the air we breathe, you know?
0: Like the last 500 years, which, okay, I am all about the scripture i would not be spending this much time and energy doing a good point. podcast the on the
1: nerdiest thing ever
0: <laughs> how to set the bible free in a four-week workshop on how to set the bible free i, I just wouldn't be doing that if, if i didn't care so tremendously about it i've given in, my entire yeah. life to it um personally devotionally vocationally like this is my thing and so this isn't like a, a statement of like, oh, my thing is like, I've seen so many people get to this place. And you'd be like, well, I guess we'll throw it all out. And they like lose the beauty and go, well, like, that must be the only way to hold it. But actually, the way that we hold it now is, is pretty new on the scene of history. And it is itself a response that we made up as a people as a defensive correction to an abuse of power from the leadership of the church at the highest levels from the period before this period. And the thing is, when you read the Bible, and then you feel forced to make statements to go against what your soul tells you is true and right and just, it actually it like creates these like internal cognitive dissonances it creates almost like ruptures in your framework and your brain like your neurological It's like a splitting of the soul and i think that's why so many people have experienced its frustration and have walked away mm-hmm. because there wasn't like an alternative in how to hold it and read it and so many people have walked away from this incredible life-breathing scripture and movement of jesus yeah but like it's possible to hold it differently because frankly, this isn't the way it's always been held. Like this way is pretty new.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been talking at all of our events to so many people who are in that place. And I mean, people who are like, I think desperately searching for how do we hold this differently? Like, I don't want to throw the whole thing out, but I don't know what to do, you know? And and that's like a, consistent conversation we've been having and we've talked to quite a few people in that place and i think i think people are so scared of getting it wrong because of even the way that they were ironically taught to hold it that they're so worried that they're going to get it wrong that they're going to like go to hell they're going to like i don't know just like it feels weighty right like how do we figure this thing out but um That's what I'm so. That's why I'm so excited about what we're talking about because I think not only are we freeing the thing from itself and the way that we try to make it into something that it's not, and then it doesn't deliver, but we we in that we are freed, and that's what I'm so excited about in this conversation. You know.
0: Totally. I mean, there's. What if we learn to hold it the way Jesus held the scripture? What if we learn to hold it the way Paul held the scripture? It's like a a Jesus way of of holding it. Like what if we read and used the Bible like Jesus did? Go through the Gospels and look at how Jesus held and used his own Bible. It's actually like really mind-blowing stuff. It's some really mind-blowing stuff if you look at how Jesus and even Paul creatively interpreted and like read from and taught us to, to read from and hold the scripture. That's like mind blowing stuff. It's almost like you're committing to just not doing poor readings of scripture that do damage to the world anymore. Mm. Jesus said, The student's not greater than the teacher. Mm. I mean, the scripture is like a library and collection of spiritual texts that give witness to the fresh movement of God in the world in their own time. They're true, they're good, they're helpful. And it's a critique of itself in many ways. It's like an ongoing prophetic critique and evolving view and understanding of God in the world. But when we turn it into this weaponizing thing, oh, man. When I operated as a pastor, I I did that. I absolutely, that like I was blind to it until I wasn't. I love the Marvel movies. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, it's like
0: the original Iron Man, the one that kicked off the whole Marvel cinematic universe. Like, Tony Stark is this guy who creates all these weapons for the American government. And then these terrorists steal all of his weapons and then they're turning around and they're using the weapons that he created against the American government. And then they kidnap Tony Stark himself and they're like, you now need to like break these weapons down and turn them into a super weapon so we can blow up the American government. And it's this like, and then he's like, the whole storyline is how he broke down his own weapons to make himself into a weapon, and it was this like wild story. But it's it's almost like that. It's like, okay, let me figure out how I can break this thing down and use it as a source of power back against you. So I would like endless arguments of
1: right. You're using the scripture to argue the opposite point. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like we're so having you're like a scripture
0: the war. Yeah this verse says this, this verse says this, this actually the original translation of the context of which. By the way, you you're really
1: good at that. <laughs>
0: I was great. I was you're, really good at it. I could really win all that. kinds of fights. And in the end, I'm like, ha ha. And then people would be like, yes, yeah, no. In fact, I had people wait in the parking lot to fight me afterwards. And I'm like, this this war really escalated. Um, but it's, uh, it's but it's like, well, actually the thing, and it's like this endless kind of weaponizing of the text to bolster our worldview, our opinion. <laughs> and I think there's a day that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same thing. Like you're
1: participating in it. Yeah. In the weaponizing.
0: Hmm. 100%. But it's, it's, it was never meant to be a, a weapon hmm. of oppression or victory <laughs> or manipulation or force or power. It was meant to be like a liberating source of life that set people free. (laughs) Like, what if we just woke up to the fact that there've always been other ways to hold it? It's okay. At this point, there's like a question that should be rumbling somewhere in your brain of like...
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask it. I know what you're going to say, but I didn't want to interrupt you.
0: Is there another way to hold it? Jesus, he actually took ownership. He held it and he read it differently. He actually challenged the authorities and assumptions and powers of his day and he called for freedom and he gave us so he there's that cryptic jewish idiom passage where he says i give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven like you have the power to interpret with authority and then he lived it out he just did he had such wild power and like in the sermon on the mount they were like it's his authority that is mind-blowing yeah it's the way that like he like they asked him like hundred and eighty three questions directly, the religious leaders. He answered three. Yeah. The rest he's like, nah. Like he he had this incredible power and agency to interpret scripture and to shape life.
1: And then he says that we'll do that. He says And
0: he said we'll do what he did in greater things.
1: Yeah. Which is interesting because I think we do give that power. How many of us are honest about it? probably it's almost like something you don't even consciously know you're doing but you teacher tell us what it means please just tell us what to do
0: Jesus just held it differently than we have the last 500 years so so my thought is like is is what we're doing brand new and perhaps in some ways unhelpful to the movement
1: hmm.
0: would Jesus be shocked at the way that we hold the bible yeah, now
1: i think about that a lot would
0: he be appalled would he be out of place but
1: yes or would he be like straight up pissed <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. What
0: tables would he be flipping? Would
1: he be flipping tables? And like, you've got to be kidding me.
0: Well, we, we see scripture and authority as something that we were taught to see it as. And this hasn't always existed and it hasn't existed the way we hold it for very long. And people, a lot of, so, so, so in the first season, or I'm sorry, the first, second episode, we talked about how biblical literacy is in an all-time low, though biblical sales are at an all-time high. It's like people today don't know what the Bible actually says, much less what it says it means. They only know what the people in power who who tell you what it says it means, tell them it says it means, <laughs> which is, I, I think, no different than the way it's been in past seasons. Hmm. The scripture itself is a collection of spiritual texts that have lasted the test of time, and they give witness to the fresh movement of God in the world in their own time. It's an ancient library of books that contain the ongoing progressive historical revelation of God's activity in the world. It's interpretation upon interpretation upon interpretation all the way through. Books of the Old Testament reinterpret other books of the Old Testament. The New Testament is a wildly creative reinterpretation of the Old Testament itself, and it's true and it's amazing and it's awesome. And these are stories that have stood the test of time and guided generations for thousands of years. These are like things that we still wrestle with, that people have wrestled with for thousands of years, questions and realities, like this epic spiritual library, the spiritual sort of library of texts that contain the movements of the spirit of God in the world. And and the scripture, like it, it, it has incredible influence. In context as a catapult of divine embodiment in the world it was meant to catapult us out into divine embodiment in our own world
1: to me when I read it now I feel like you're typing something
0: I'm I'm looking up a Bible verse keep going
1: um I don't know like you know when I was 14 and I first started this whole journey I would have seen it as this like thing that fell from the sky and, and you know it is an instructional manual that I can go to and like rules for living. And now I feel like when I open it up, it's more like, I feel like I'm looking for the essence of the message and like how it's, how it can transform my life, you know, and how, it how I can embody the message of the scriptures in my life, in my day to day and like, what that looks like for society on a broader level. Like it's a whole different conversation when it's you look holy. at it differently. You know what I mean? And to me, it's so much more it's meaningful more than when we than when I held it that other way.
0: Well, that's the thing is it, okay, what does the Bible say about itself? Cause I mean, okay, the last- useful. The last right? major sort of shift was the Reformation, which introduced this idea of the sola scriptura, the scriptura sola, only the scripture. The scripture interprets the scripture. What does the Bible say about itself? In 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed.
1: Oh, yeah. We're coming back to this. And
0: is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, mm-hmm. and training in righteousness. Oh, so I that hate that word, rebuke. The Sorry. servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. Yeah. Pause there. In Genesis, it says that when God created the, the universe... In us and everything in it, that like, it's like a God breathed, God spoken existence. We God created humanity. It says that God, like the 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 word in Greek and the word in Hebrew, in Greek it's pneuma and Hebrew it's ruach and it means wind, spirit, and breath. God breathed spirit. God breathed life. Like it's like a the movement of spirit. It's like a spirit inspired breath of God. Like There's all kinds of spirit-inspired breath of God. And and it says it's useful teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work in order to embody something for the good of the world. It's about God breathing an embodiment of a life-giving thing. I mean, it's incredibly, in using the Bible's own words, useful when embodied. It's about death and resurrection and forgiveness and abundance and creation and new creation and an invitation to a new kind of life and a nearness of spirit. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's about death and resurrection of Jesus, but also the birth of a movement of a world of self-giving love. For the healing of the world, it's about our own ongoing death and resurrection as people, it's about love and mercy and compassion and inclusion and justice and peace. Jesus came to change our minds about who God is.
1: So when we say it's God breathed, that scripture says God breathed. Well,
0: I would what does, say, what, what does do that you, mean? What do you define that as? What does God breathe mean yeah. like in, in the context of the scripture itself? There's all kinds of God-breathed movements. And I mean, it's like God world.
1: speaking through real people, through real places, in a real time.
0: It's 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 a, it's like a divine self-disclosure of God and God's redemptive history. Like, what does God breathe mean? Like, like, yeah, through real people, real places, in real time, doing life, not even realizing that they're writing scripture. It's like <laughs> That's God's
1: wild to think about, but God's
0: in it. Mm. all of life is God breathed. All of life is a word of God. God breathed everything into existence. Everything is God breathed. It's what happened and how it happened and how God moved into real God's self. It's like a, this incredible guide of the movement of the spirit. And yet the text itself exists as like an historical argument within itself. It critiques itself through and through. It's an ongoing interpretation and critique of itself. The Bible is this phenomenally unique movement that contains the prophets, which are a self critique of the movement. The Bible never spoke of itself the way that we have in this last season. Paul's and Jesus's use of scripture is really different. What if we took the text the way Paul did, the way Jesus did? Jesus literally said, I give you authority The keys of the kingdom to interpret for your own time and place. It's authoritative. The scripture is authoritative as the historical revelation of God's movement in history at that time. But it's always meant to catapult us into this time now. Like an embodied divine action and life in our own time now. And I know that's like, depending on where you're at, you're like, oh, snap. What are you talking about? Right?
1: I mean, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some people just might be like, I don't even care about this. But um, it, Or some people might be really excited about this. Or some people might feel threatened by this. But to me, it gives me hope. And it gives me a lot of freedom.
0: Hmm.
1: Because I know that God the spirit is still active and alive and moving today. And I know that God's still speaking and and moving and that it gives me confidence to be able to open the scriptures and to be able to read them and know that God will s- speak through them to me. And that I I do have the keys to the kingdom and that I do have authority to to even be confident to lean into like that knowing when I know that, deep down like spirit is guiding me towards something I can I can lean into that and I can feel confident in that and I don't need to hand off my uh, authority to others you know yeah so I think that's exciting
0: we see scripture something we're taught to see it as and it hasn't always been read that way in fact I think it's become weaponized and some things that have come out of it are oppression and violence and self-preservation like the truth is authority is what you give influence to authority is what you give influence to i think in some ways the authority in the reformation went the wrong direction i think the like the authority discussion is often divorced from like the embodiment of the word of God if Jesus was a movement from word to flesh like the the movement of the reformation was about arguing words but Jesus became flesh he talked about the law on the heart being so shaped and transformed by the spirit that you like in flesh it in the world the scripture so desperately needed but actually needed to be embodied not argued in words for a power dynamic I think the real question in the whole authority debate is what does your reading and interpretation of the scripture create in the world?
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: If you read it in poor ways, you create a bad world. Think about imperial religion in the Roman Empire. Think about the Crusades when the Pope said, we're going to go in the name of God. Yeah. Take the holy lands and murder people. Think about the Inquisition where it's like, we're going to burn people alive who we consider threats to our power and we're going to call them heretics. Or think about like the institution of slavery or racism or LGBTQ exclusion. Think about like the cognitive dissonance that happens when the way that you are reading the Bible does damage to the world and to people in it, and you know it. But like you feel like down, you just
1: have to like stick to it because, yeah. I think that's it's the wrong. way you read it, you know, that's the way it's done.
0: What about here and now, and the way that you read and hold the text and what it does to people in the real world? It's like an embodied reality. In real time, how you read it shapes it. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, people have been disempowered and lost are like Jesus-given authority. But naming it has the power to change it. It was meant to be a source of liberation, not an instrument of oppression. What's often called authority turns out to be violence and exclusion and oppression. Authority is what you give influence to. But you already know that. You operate that way. You just have to be honest about it. Jesus gave us the keys to the kingdom, the authority to interpret and make things and sort this out—spiritual interpretive authority. Now, and we can step into that authority. And the funny part is, where do we even get the uh, like the question for authority? It's like Jesus believed in us, and he launched this movement of liberation and embodiment and transformation. And then it's like right away, they didn't trust themselves or humanity and went back on it. Hmm. The spirit always acquiesces as a form to where the evolutionary consciousness of the people is at. But seeds have always been there for those who are courageous enough to see and to act and to step into it. You don't have to give your authority away. God already has placed his spirit within you. You have everything that you need. Just look within, trust it, and ask yourself, what does this reading of the text do? Does it open people up? Does it close people down? Does it welcome people in or does it push people out? Does it spread love or does it hurt people? Authority is just what you give influence to. And you have the spirit and the keys to the kingdom and you can trust that spirit. Don't be afraid to trust the spirit that, that is within you and don't be afraid to read and interpret and live well.
1: All right. That was good. That was sermon.
0: <laughs> I haven't done a sermon on this podcast yet.
1: Here we go. You did it. Um, Do you want to close us with that? story that you read recently to our our group we've been meeting with.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um I, I we ended up going so long, I'm just gonna summarize it.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: There's a book by Fyodor Dostoevsky. <laughs>
1: Do you notice I purposely didn't say his I know name? You didn't,
0: called The Brothers Karmazov. <laughs> Um, brilliant Russian novelist. And um, I think he completed this book right before he passed away. Um, he tells this story of these brothers, but the, it's a brilliant novel because there's stories within the story. And this is a story that's told in it called The Grand Inquisitor. And it's these two brothers, Ivan telling this poem and the story that he made up to his brother Alyosha. made-up story is about Jesus coming back, but coming back in Spain, in this little town of Seville during the Spanish Inquisition. And it's just as this huge crowd is gathering to witness this mass execution, this burning at the stake of these heretics, And Jesus, when he shows up, never says a word, but everybody seems to recognize him. All these people gather around him, and he blesses them, and he heals them. He raises someone from the dead. And as it happens, the cardinal grand inquisitor sees Jesus, immediately recognizes him, realizes he's come back, and his move is to have him arrested. And when he has him arrested, it's like he just points his finger, and the story says, such is his power over the well-disciplined, submissive, and now trembling people that the thick crowds immediately give, give way, and scattering before the guard amid dead silence and without one breath of protest, allow them to lay their hands upon the stranger and lead him away. They take him to the prison, and that night the grand inquisitor visits Jesus all by himself and tells him that in the morning he's going to be burned at the stake as the, the worst heretic, is the most wicked of all. And the same people that were kissing his feet, tomorrow at one point of his finger will rush to add wood into his own stake that's being burned as he's burned alive. And the reason he says he's gonna burn him is that Jesus came to give people freedom, but that's not what they actually want. What they really want, he says, is to be told what to do. They want to be told how to believe and what to be fed. And he says for 15 centuries we've been wrestling with your freedom, but now it has ended and it is over for good. And Jesus never says a word, instead he stands up and kisses him. And the Inquisitor angrily lets him free and says, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. And sends him away and says, don't ever come back here again. Your freedom is worthless here. The people want us, we've got this figured out.
1: Dang. This is wild.
0: Story And it's like he's asking, would we rather not be free to think and question for ourselves? Would we rather mm-hmm. not step into the authority that Jesus gives us or do we just give over all of our authority? Authority is what you give influence to. And you have the spirit and the keys of the kingdom and you can trust that spirit. I think the movement's about freedom and an unleashing in the spirit. It's about an embodiment. Yeah. What we're talking about It's not throwing it out it's actually taking it back it's taking Jesus and the whole movement more seriously it's taking the authority more seriously it's taking the spirit that he gave us more seriously
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm not talking about deconstruction I think that's boring I'm talking about reconstruction I'm talking about going through death and out the other side to a new kind of life it's about reimagining
1: and man it's a lot more fun too isn't it (laughs) So. Yeah,
0: It's about the embodiment of the spirit of the living God. That's what these spiritual texts brilliantly give us. An ownership and a trust and a trusting of yourself to step into it.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's
0: what we're going to talk about in our workshop.
1: Yep. <laughs> going to keep this conversation going. So we still have two more and you can um, jump into those if you like. The information's on the site, philandjenwood.com. And we'll see you back next week. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on.
0: And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.